Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today. My name is Lulu Khazan. I'm an entrepreneur living in Dubai, an investor, a mother, and your host. And you're listening to Conversations with Lulu. Even before starting my entrepreneurial journey in 2011 with Nabbish.com, I've had my fair share of transformations, and I've had the opportunity to build a great and diverse network of amazing people along the way. This podcast is an extension of my learning journey and a way for me to share some insights as well. My guest today is Nadim Samara, CEO of the Omnicum Media Group, or OMG, for the MENA region. OMG is one of the region's largest agencies, with yearly billings of over $500 million, serving over 300 brands across 19 offices. Their clients include brands like Jumeirah Group, Do, Snapchat, Pepsi, Nissan, Daimler, KFC, and the list goes on. Nadim is a childhood friend, and he was gracious enough to be one of the first guests a few months ago, just before the measures to contain the spread of the coronavirus took over. Many years ago, I remember talking to him about retirement, and he told me he hopes to become a teacher someday, perhaps inspired by his own mother. She was an Arabic teacher. How's your Arabic? Terrible. Uh, (laughs) Terrible. It's it, uh, it's good in slang, but it's not good in uh, it's not good in professional Arabic. But I think I'd, that's one of the disappointments, probably, on her side. But um, look, it, it was uh, you know she's 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 relatively strict, uh, but she was very she was very flexible in our upbringing, like how we actually uh, you know you know whether we went to sports or went to scouts or we did skiing or whatever it was. There was an investment from her side in terms of the emotion, the financial, obviously, but it was always also about the, it was always about the, uh, the fun aspect, the growth. And I think that's the mentality that was important. Any teacher wants their student to grow. I think that's the that's the thing I can pull out from this from this experience is the growth mentality. Um, but again, uh, you know, Arabic is unless unless you study it with with uh, with with a full heart, it's a bit of a tough uh, tough language. As someone who is passionate about finding the right fit of people inside companies, I find OMG's obsession with company culture quite interesting. In fact, every year, a mix of leadership and junior teams undertake a physical challenge tied to a fundraising goal for local charities such as Golf for Food. It started in um, September 2014 when 25 of us attempted to climb Kilimanjaro. Uh, the highest peak in Africa. Wow! Uh, in fact, uh, when you're climbing high up, my my right foot became known as don't, and my ref- left foot became known as stop. So every time I took two steps, it'd be don't stop because <laughs> it's a sixty percent of the. In my opinion, sixty percent of this effort is is mental. So you have to have the mental strength to to pursue it. These expeditions have become ingrained into OMG's culture and are a heck of a way to keep people motivated. They've also extended into Nadim's personal life, where he continues to push boundaries. 
you know, we're sitting around the, a dining room table, uh, a bunch of friends of uh, close friends of, of mine and I, and one of them uh, throws out this whole idea of let's ski the last degree, which is basically uh, some folks fly you in a helicopter, drop you in at 89 degree parallel, and then you put on cross country skis and you drag behind you a sled with your tent and stuff for uh, an Arctic expedition of around eight to 12 days. And then you ski that last degree between 89 and 90. And 90 is obviously the true North Pole. And um, with global warming happening, um, you know, who knows how long the ice pack will actually still exist. So I'd like to be one of I'd like to be one of the few people that actually stood on on the North Pole. It's also inspiration to my children. It's also a physical challenge, you know, uh, to make sure that I'm I'm as fit as possible, uh, despite my love for food. Uh <laughs> And and obviously the the mental strength that that comes with it, you know, um, the routine of of setting up a tent every day, bring it down in the morning, uh, making sure you don't do any stupid mistakes like having um, some of your breath come on your zippers because then it'll freeze because the temperature is between minus five inside the tent to minus twenty, minus thirty, even minus forty if there's a, a lot of wind. So. Uh, making sure that your your muscles are well taken care of for eight to twelve days, you know, it becomes very monotonous to a point of enjoyment. So you you said that it all started with a group of friends and you sitting around the table. I'm assuming these friends are colleagues. Yeah, I mean, most of us are colleagues uh, or ex colleagues, but you need to be really intimate with someone and really close. I mean, it's a, it's a partnership. If you're sharing a, a very small space for for eight to twelve days in conditions where you can't just go to the guest bedroom or to the next yeah. hotel room <laughs> or to another town. Very true. Obviously, not a lot of companies do that. Sometimes corporates might do corporate retreats where they mm. kind of drag everyone somewhere. Mm. Uh, this seems so organic, kind of mm. like a bottom-up uh, mm. approach in a way. So yeah. so why why is that important, do you think, like to you and and also to the to the company? I think again it, it comes it comes down from the from the the DNA of the company and the values that are in, enlisted in, in, in our um, in our culture. And it's in my opinion, if you have sweat equity with the person next to you, with your peer, with your colleague, then you have a responsibility to make sure that you're delivering the best you can, the best product, uh, the best service. And we, we're talking literally sweat now. Literally, okay. literally, <laughs> uh, both inside the office sometimes, <laughs> and but most, most notoriously, climbing mountains and, and, and skiing across uh, an Arctic uh, float. You know, I started in this company in Jeddah uh, 17 and a half years ago. So it's kind of ingrained in my mind that we're one family, we pursue one goal, and, um, and, and you kind of have to perform together. Take those words, one family, one goal, pursue it together, and it applies to climbing a mountain, it applies to crossing an Arctic float. And I think that's important for us to figure to figure out how a company can perform better. Um, and and it, again, it reflects back to cert, certain numbers in the company. You know, the majority of uh, our team and the leadership team has been in the company north of 12 years. This is a 17-year, 18-year company. So that's a big, big, big number. That's right? excellent. Uh, in an industry where churn is huge, yeah. uh, average age has now risen from the, around 27 and a half, 28, back three, four years ago. Uh, to around 32, 33. And that's only because of the fact that people stay. So it's not about, it's not about 
the influx of the young folks. It's about the, the, the steady and strong and stable leadership that has been with the company since 2002. Which now you took over uh, yes. recently, so congratulations Thank on you. that. It's it's an amazing achievement when I think about it. You're 41 years old. You're uh, a father. You're an adventurer. You're you're a leader. Uh, what what kind of message do you think it sends to the the new recruits into mm. into OMG? Um, because you know when when you're young and you look at someone who's 41 years old and he's a CEO. Yeah, I think I mean you you pose a very good question. I think it's less about how do we get to this position. It's more about the journey, right? And I, th- I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it literally is the journey. Because if it wasn't if it wasn't for me having the support at home with my spouse, the support at the office with my mentors, uh, and most recently, Eli being my direct mentor. Uh, but there have been mentors in the past in the, in the, in the uh, Saudi office. And it was, when I was in New York for six years, I had the luxury of having some great mentors. Also, some terrible ones that taught me what not to do. Yeah. Uh, so, so you obviously draw from the ones that that have coached you correctly. So, uh, yes, I think this is. I think it's more of a message to the to the folks that are entering the company about the fact that this is a journey and not a destination. I think the combination of perseverance, um, I, I, and I don't want to use the word hard hard work because I think smart work is better than hard work at some at some point in time, uh, but perseverance. And kind of, you know, taking tough decisions, being opportunistic. You know, when I was 28, I moved to New York. It wasn't an easy decision. Um, and what I what I gained there, uh, I lost some stuff from being, in, uh, I lost some experience from being in the GCC in the Middle East and North Africa. But I gained a, a new perspective by being in North America. And I think that gave me a bit of an edge. Uh, also, I had access to a great university where, where I pursued my executive MBA. Was that a contributing factor in uh, in who you are today? Like, would you would you advise people to kind of seek these uh, types of executive education uh, for their progress? Look, I mean, it it it, um, it doesn't hurt if you know what you if you know what you're trying to achieve, right? I think if you if you're doing it because you want to put a an A four an A four thick paper behind your desk <laughs> as a as a as a bit of a prize. And I think those days are gone, right? Uh, it's not a stamp of approval. The most important thing, in my opinion, isn't to seek education for the sake of education, but to seek education for the sake of application. Uh, so when I did my uh, my business school experience, it was during working times. So I, I, did, I did this every other weekend uh, where I was able to apply throughout these fortnights whatever I learned in two days, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think... There's, there's two good answers, in my opinion, and one bad answer. One bad answer is the more degrees, the better. I think that that's, that, that um, ethos has, has evaporated. But the two good answers is, first of all, pursue something you love. And the second piece of advice is, I think it's best to also pursue a progressive education system because the majority of folks we meet today and we interview and we recruit, um, they graduate from institutions that may not have set them up for the best future success. Uh, that doesn't mean that you know that we have to break down the whole institutions of education, but which is a top topic that's being challenged worldwide. But it's something that we should be, um, you know, much more assertive of of how and where we put our investments as 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 parents, as as uh, educators, and as students. I think as uh, uh, several reports 
talk about the skills gap, right? So mm. there's a lot of people graduating and are unemployed, but there's also a lot of companies that are unable to hire the, the skills that they're looking for, mm. which is interesting. So there is a mismatch somewhere between Absolutely. what's out there and what's uh, really in demand. Um, but when it comes to hiring, right, I mean, obviously, how many people work at the group now? Today. So we're we're slightly north of 800 across Middle East and North oh. Africa. So so when it comes to hiring, what's interesting for you? Is it the degrees? Is it something else? Well, we're definitely not looking at degrees only. I think that's uh, that's a red herring that uh, companies have um, uh, fallen fallen into the trap. We we look for personalities, right? Uh, and I think that's that's the most important thing. Uh, the old adage of um, recruit for attitude and teach aptitude. Uh, after you recruit someone, is something we apply. So the majority of our recruits are entry level for two reasons. As I mentioned before, we have a very strong uh, retention uh, figure in terms of percentage. So folks that come in stay with us uh, in, in in the majority of, of the sense. And the second thing is I, I was brought up in an environment and I'm a true uh, believer in not getting someone senior from outside that would suppress the ambitions of the folks you've been building up Absolutely. and teaching. Now, sometimes it's a necessity, right? Sometimes you win a massive account, your skill sets don't exist, um, and you have to bring in a, a general manager. That Those are necessary evil decisions you have to take. When I interview someone after the fact, so after they've been recruited by, by the agency leads nowadays or the discipline leads, I look for three things. Um, I look for integrity, first and foremost. I think that's something that we sometimes take for granted and sometimes folks don't understand how important it is. And it doesn't mean in terms of integrity, in terms of audit proof, but in terms of how does that person compose themselves in tough environment. Um, I think positive is the second thing I look at. So someone who um, gets punched left, right and center, but always has a smile on their face to move forward. I think we're, we have to remind ourselves we're in a service industry, despite the technology pressures around us. Uh, and AI and ML and automation, all the other acronyms that are coming our way. Ultimately, we're a human industry that deals with humans. Um, and the third, but not the last thing, is resilience. Um, we're a very cool industry. We're a very fun industry. We help build brands. We connect people to brands that they will have a, a love relationship with or a hate relationship with. Our job is to make sure that it's, it's the former, not the latter. But resilience is very important. Right. And I think um, getting a brief at 630 in the afternoon on a Thursday, uh, there are folks that will react positive to it, will be resilient uh, and will treat it with integrity in terms of performance and quality. And there are folks that won't. And we want to kind of hire the folks that will. You mentioned the word which has been thrown around a lot these days, which is intrapreneurship. How can you apply it in, in a big company, in an established company? Mm. Um, I can see it maybe in smaller companies to some degree, mm. but I mean, you have something that's been running since, you know, you said 2002. Uh, so so you're set in your ways, mm. you know, there are probably things, uh, things are done in a specific way. Um, so how, how can you be intrapreneurial? Mm. Good question. Uh, and I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're 17, 18 years old. So we're actually a teenager of a company. And, and we, need, we know that 17, 18 year olds can either be, uh, they're pivoting, they'll either be uh, troublesome or, 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 or successful. <laughs> so we're definitely in that, in that pivotal area. Now, when we started, we were around 25 people. 
it was it was very organically organic for us to come up with solutions uh you know macros on excel package it up and there we have we have a sophisticated tool compared to the market the competitive advantage was available the competitive advantage was available today you need to make sure that you have a system behind it for 800 people and that system has lots of small tactics so we've created something small last year called OMD underground where as as it says it's kind of like a, a reverse mentorship where we identified five folks under the manager level or at manager level rather uh, who we knew were brilliant but instead of them getting stuck into the day-to-day we pulled them out and we said great here's 30 minutes with with your ceo sit down with this uh, with this individual and tell me what your passion point out is about this uh, this business and we came up with five different projects that were uh, sponsored by the ceo that were pushed forward that were developed and i think that permeates the whole culture in the company so that's one of the examples that's there's excellent. other yeah there's other examples that can that, that i can mention but ultimately it's about setting programs and processes in um, that are that are creating that that create a free environment for folks to test things out when we come back nadim tells us about how agencies can adapt to a constantly transforming industry Support for today's episode comes from the Smash Room. Now, you may have heard of these guys. They've got a couple of locations in Dubai where you could go and just smash things like plates and glasses and electronics. It's a great way to relieve some stress. Now, with COVID-19, the Smash Room venues are currently closed, but they still have a solution for you, which is the Smash Box. You can order your own box, delivered to your door with a hammer and an electronic gadget to smash. And it's family-friendly, so you can even do this with the kids. Here's the good news. Listeners of this show, yes, that's you, can get a 10% discount when you order throughout the month of April and refer to Conversations with Lulu. Just give these guys a call on 058-198-2323 to get your box today. Welcome back. I'm Lulu Khazen. And you're listening to our episode with Nadim Samara, CEO of Omnicom Media Group, Mina. There has been a lot of talk in recent years about the relevance of the current agency model, especially with global tech giants like Google, Facebook, and Amazon working directly with clients and commanding an ever-growing share of media spend. Our industry changes weekly, and I love that. And I think that's the, that's the, the, that's the piece that, that keeps me excited and wakes me up in the morning to go to work and to make sure that we, we create the best solutions possible. Um, every technology that comes around will affect us. AR, VR, any other acronym you have out there eventually will impact advertising, eventually impact audiences, eventually will impact transactions between consumers and brands. And businesses, whether private or public, right, uh, will always need people to open up the wallet and swipe their credit card or tap their phone, or hand over cash. And that, for me, is what makes us in a constant transformation. So, so where do you think, let me, let me yeah. ask you, uh, where do you think is the, 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 the biggest value? Is it, I mean, who is your, your, uh, your client, let's say? Is it the, the large companies, or, or is there an interest on 
you know, your behalf to start sort of working with the with the smaller SMEs, the startups, uh, and you know, sort of expanding from the the Pepsi's and the PNGs yeah. and so on. Well, historically, this industry has been built on building big brands, right? So if you've watched Mad Men, that's that's basically our heritage, okay, uh, with the good and the bad. But re- more recently, and specifically from an OMG perspective, we've been very uh, acute to making sure that we diversify who our customers are, who our partners are as well, because it's it's on both sides of the of the of the equation. Um, and we've been very we've been very successful, and we're very proud of actually launching brands that have started from zero. So the focus, obviously, at least for the for the short term or the medium term, is still going to be on the the big, you know, the big players, the big brands that are looking to uh, expand their footprint, basically. Yeah, I think. Look, uh, I'll I'll give you I'll give you the most direct answer. Uh, we're we're built we're built in a way, the industry the 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 structure of this industry has built has been built in a way where there's either money going direct. To publishers nowadays, or big brands that need to outsource the the um, uh, the specialization and the and the knowledge going to the to the agency holding companies, whether it's creative or media or otherwise. But I think that's that's changing. So today, this is a human industry, despite the data and technology. It's a human industry. Intu- intuitive decision making is still very valid. Um, understanding how to merge disparate databases into one is an advantage that an agency today has and will continue to have until, I don't know, maybe Google, Amazon, and Facebook have a database between the three of them. Um, that's not going to happen. So today, if, if, a, if, a, if a brand or a client wants to make sure that they're getting the most objective point of view, um, then they should set up a remuneration system that's exactly built on performance to the agency, and they should be briefing the agency on the exact business outcome that's needed. Is that how you work now? Or is that something that you you see more clients demanding, like more accountability on the on the part of the agency? We've we've we're shifting there. Okay. If, if, if I were to tell you that the majority is there, I'd be lying and I won't say that. But okay. I'll tell you that there are some bold uh, leaders, bold partners as well, who are taking decisions that are much more finite. I use this analogy of bridge, bridging. So today, uh, I want to see shorter bridges made out of concrete rather than longer bridges made out of bamboo. Okay. And in the past, you'd you'd advertise, hope for someone to see it, hope for someone to rem- to remember it, yeah. and then ultimately go to go to the market uh, as a retailer, let's say, and hopefully go to that shelf for that brand. Those are lots of bamboo bridges that are pretty long. Um, nowadays. The data has allowed us to make sure that we're segregating the audiences correctly, have immediate transaction on the platform that we're able to advertise on, and immediately make sure that the product is, is made available or the brand has made a transaction with that consumer. Another change directly affecting agencies currently is the shift from traditional channels where agencies reign supreme, such as outdoor, print, and TV, towards digital channels. So how does OMG continue to transform itself and grow? I want to say that half of the investments toward, go towards digital. Now that said, um, we also need to be conscious about how we term TV and how we term digital. right? So video exists whether it's done through the cable or done through the Ethernet or Internet or Wi-Fi or 3G or 5G nowadays. So we want to also make sure that's a content-driven 
dissection of the industry and not a distribution driven dissection of the industry. Okay. Um, now, obviously, uh, we have in this region, we're pretty strong on outdoor still. TV still has its equity. There's a lot of uh, research that allows us to connect TV to performance on social and performance on, on, on digital, which we've pioneered with partners of ours here. So it's a much more convoluted response than maybe four years ago, where four years ago, you'd say, great, uh, TV is kind of standing still and digital is picking up. Today, it's much more convoluted. And um, again, another cliche that's being used in this, in, this, uh, in this industry is omni-channel, to making sure that the consumer, mm-hmm. wherever they turn, is a seamless experience yeah. uh, of, the brand's, of the brand's communication. Um, how do we solve for it? And how do we foresee things? Um, first and foremost, it's the structure at the company, right? So we've been able to diversify our skill sets in the past six, seven years. Uh, we've been able to create... Um, new revenue streams, both for the company, but also for the clients. Ultimately, we've set up an e-commerce uh, uh, entity within Omnicom Media Group. We've, we've set up a creative that's, uh, entity that's focused mainly on rapid response management for social media, uh, for dynamic creative optimization, and technology that has helped us to gain double-digit enhancements on the same creative that's, that's produced in a nanosecond based on the audience it's, it's sending out to, individualized, uh, making sure that the data that we have is harmonized together on a DMP that is uh, a data management platform that is referenced every time we go to market. And this precision marketing mentality uh, can't be operated by the same recruit you used to recruit 25 years ago. I could, I could tell that you keep a very kind of tight ship when it comes to culture. Mm. Uh, I could see that it's very important, but... Are there any key strategies that you recommend or that you use as a as a leader that sort of keeps you uh, you know keeps you afloat and uh, and helps you mm. um, have more vision or more foresight into the future and and keep growing? I'm definitely doing doing two things all the time. First thing is I always keep my ear to the ground. Um, I usually meet uh, three or four external parties. Let's use those terms, whether they're partners or clients or or you know, affiliates uh, every day. And that allows me to ask questions, to sense what's going on. Um, and, you know, we're lucky enough to have uh, clients in every single sector. So in, in, in a week, uh, I can have a very strong uh, understanding of what the barometer is looking like across the economy. Okay. Point two is while your ears on the ground, make sure your eyes are really, really, really far ahead, right? Uh, so it's all about vision over visibility. Um, I think we're all concerned about visibility into the next quarter. I'm concerned about the vision into next year, you know? And I think for me, uh, what I'm hearing nowadays in terms of what makes sense in the coming year or two, clients want outcomes that make sense. And it's not about the price only. It's not about the service quality only. It's about the bouquet. And this is graduating from the procurement era of three, four years ago, where it's all about price. And I think brands realized that, great, they were paying the cheapest available, but they weren't performing the best available. You mentioned uh, when we were having a chat at the beginning that you, you're always prepared. Mm. Where, where does that come from? And, and is there something particular in, in your childhood that you think prepared you to where you are today? Mm. Um, I, I was I was in the scouts for 18 years, and and the mentality with scouts 
uh, well, back in the 80s, it was for fun, right? You, you'd, you'd, go, you'd go out, you'd go hiking, you'd go camping, uh, bonfires, um, and it was all fun. But eventually it became some sort of a habit, right? And the, the motto, the motto for, for scouts is be prepared. Um, so you always have that mentality, you know? So I'm, I'm, you know, whenever I travel my backpack, I, I travel the backpack. I don't travel with a briefcase because I think that's, that's not practical. I'd like to have both hands available for, for passports and boarding passes and phones and stuff like that. But I always have a t-shirt in my backpack in case I get stranded in some airport or, and it's, it's you know, it weighs probably 400 grams or 300 <laughs> grams, but it's, it's not about that. It's about the fact that the men- mentally you're, you're being prepared. It, it, it reflects very much equally to business, right? So when you enter in a meeting, um, the brasher part of me when I was younger in this industry, I'd be the first person to speak. I'd be the first person to give an opinion. I'd, I'd set the tone. And I think nowadays with a bit more maturity and a bit more experience, I've understood that being prepared doesn't mean being the first to speak, but being the person who's able to either collate different opinions, instigate more discussion, uh, but ultimately bring bring everybody into the right decision-making process. And I think you need to have enough uh, baggage, uh, whether it's emotional baggage, uh, mental baggage, or actually physical baggage, to be able to actually last nine hours of 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 a day in advertising is not physically easy. You know, um, you know there are folks that take smoke breaks every every two hours. There are folks that that uh, rely on chocolate, like I do sometimes, uh, and there are folks that do yoga in the morning and afternoon. So uh, again, it's the physical, mental, and emotional. Prepared, preparedness that's important for for you to be successful in my opinion okay and you're and you're a father now yes uh, i mean you're a father of three yeah which is uh, quite the task um yes. so what what kind of uh, you know lessons do you draw from your mother from maybe things you've learned along the way from your career that yeah. you kind of apply in uh, at home are, are there any lessons or any patience. tactics P- uh patience i have no idea how how parents are as patient as they should be and I don't know where I'm digging in for my patients sometime. Um, and then sleep. Just any opportunity I have to sleep. I sleep uh, planes, cars, uh, couches uh, with three kids uh, ranging from the ages of seven to one. Uh, it's it's a handful. But um, look, the, the, the two things that I think my kids have taught me uh, was the unconditional love that they get. You know, you have... That they give. That they, that they, that they give me back. Yeah. Um, so it's not... So when you have when when you when you're in a relationship with a, with your spouse, there is unconditional love, right? But it's 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 not at the same level with your with your children. And, and I and I say this with all with all confidence, having had this discussion with my spouse and and her concurring as well. And I think the second thing that, that I think not many not many uh, spouses would say that the love is unconditional, but that good. We'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll keep it at that. But, <laughs> but but I think the second thing that they've taught me is is how fast they can learn something. And how stupid would I be if I'm not willing to learn something new? And I think it, I'm dumbfounded how fast they pick up something, uh, whether it's spelling a new word or reading uh, a different level of uh, of book or uh, knowing what sort of um, what sort of stone is under them when we go hiking in, in the mountains here in the UAE. Whatever it is, their their aspect of speed to learning, curiosity is inspirational. And I think we sometimes forget it, you know. At, at, in, in, we forget to be kids. Yeah, we forget to be kids. Yeah. I think that's a very good that's a very good word. How do you how do you feel about uh, their future? I mean, uh, are you optimistic about you know 
how, how, what do you think is going to happen in the next 20 years from a career <sighs> standpoint, from a, from a leadership standpoint? I mean, yeah, if I knew the answer, I'd be, uh, <laughs> I'd be probably retired someplace. Um, look, I, the, the turmoil that this world is going through today um, is probably the, the most it's been through, not only because of the, the biggest population on earth or the fastest rate of whatever that's happening in the world, but it's also because of the communication. It's because of, again, going back to technology and, and platforms that are making everything visible. I mean, we know here in Dubai, if there's a cat stuck in Missouri, in some tree, <laughs> yeah. right? Before it used to be whether or not you're in that exact town, whether that cat is stuck in that tree or not. So that, that, that uh, breaking down of borders is making us think that this world is much worse than it used to be. So I'm, so I'm a bit more optimistic than others. Good. But I'm also not naive. And I do believe that my three kids have to work their tail off to make sure that they, they cut their own slack, that they're brought up um, as much as possible in an environment where uh, they're positive, they have full integrity, and they're resilient to make sure that they're able to perform moving forward. Um, and I, I don't want to sound like a father that manages the, his kids in the same way that he manages his company. Uh, and I do treat m the company as my own company. Otherwise, I think we'd fail. Um, but I do treat my kids in a way that I think I'm setting them up to be the best they can be, the happiest they can be, which I think is a very important metric that none of us look at. And more importantly, uh, good people, right? I think that that's what's missing around the world. Uh, but good people doesn't mean that you get stomped on, doesn't mean you get bullied on. Um, and I think today what they've gone through, what they will be going through in school and in high school is a much thicker, necess necessitates a much thicker set of skin and mental strength than we had 25, 15 years ago, whatever it was. And I think that's something that we need to be a bit more conscious about. Nadim, you're you're very big on life. Mm. I know you personally. You you uh, you love the outdoors. You're you're very uh, uh, experimental. Let's put mm. it this way. You know you 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 love your work. You love your family. Um, do you do? You, I mean, you have a lot of hobbies. Maybe you can mention some mm. of them. Uh, obviously, your love of <laughs> your love of cars and building cars. Infamous. Um, do you think that's important today, you know, to have that sort of balance? I mean, you, I'm pretty sure you have a very demanding job. Mm. So, so, and many of us would probably fall into the trap of finding excuses, mm. uh, you know. So how do you, how do you carve the time or, or is it so important that you make sure that, you know, you, you have that, you, you keep that time mm. uh, locked for certain activities? Um, my biggest hobby per se is, is, is uh, off-road cars. And I think that came to me when I was uh, 15 years old and, and a friend of mine in, in town had a beautiful 4x4 that took him to places that were gorgeous, right? Beautiful sunsets, beautiful vistas, uh, great places to camp, uh, rivers in, in the beautiful mountains of Lebanon. And that kind of hit two birds with, with one stone. The mechanical aspect, which is something I love, uh, and how things work uh, and gears that grind. Um, and the science behind that, and then obviously the great outdoors. Um, so that has been building for the past 25, 25 years plus. Um, some, some call it an obsession. That could be a good term to use it. But it's, it's very important. I mean, I, I read an article maybe a couple of months ago that said, if you don't have a hobby, pick up one. And I, I read it on purpose because I wanted to justify 
my actions to my spouse. Yeah. You know, I want to tell my wife. Your like, expenditures look, on, uh, on off-roading. Not, not only financial <laughs> expenditure, but also mental expenditure yeah, and, and emotional. Time commitment and emotional well. and time commitment, obviously. Um, and, and I, and I, you know, there were, there were valid bullet points in there, scientifically proven by this very well-authored uh, article about how having a, a hobby will allow you to kind of escape your brain. And it's like the experiences today. So we're in an economy where, where, where goods still have a value, right? But it's not about the goods economy, it's about the experience economy. Well, I've had my own experience for 25 years. And that's an escapism that has allowed me to, to either reset my brain reset my emotions, set a goal for myself, right? Uh, and then zone out. I mean, um, maintaining my motorcycle every month for two, three hours, whether it's, you know, lubing up the chain or making sure the tires are the right pressure with my AirPods on and having a good playlist uh, on my iTunes is a, is a gorgeous experience. You know, it's like people painting or people cycling or, or other things. So I think it's very important to have the, that, that hobby. If you're able to do it and share it with people you love, even better. So I've been able to transform, again, to use that term, uh, my hobby from being just me, myself, and I with my machine to friends and now to my kids. So we go camping much regularly uh, now that the kids are older enough. Uh, and they love it. You know, I mean, obviously, they probably go in there for the s'mores uh, in the evening, which are very tasty. But it's also for the experience. And I think that's also something that I'm able to share with them. <laughs> Going back to, to business now, mm. uh, today is the age of, you know, personal brands. You, have, mm. you see a lot of people. I mean, it's so easy today to actually build a brand, which is amazing. What do you think is going to happen next after this? You know, if, if you're a company that uh, that works with OMD and, and you want to try to predict mm. like the next five years, mm. do, do, you, do you see any kind of trends? Um. A lot of we see a lot of trends. We see a lot of technological trends that will kind of converge all towards even more con convenience. I think the convenience of having of ordering something and waiting a day or two for it to be delivered is going to be a thing of the past. Well, that's already almost a thing of the past. Yes, I mean, if if it's stocked in the country, yes. But most items that you want sometimes are not stocked in the market. The right size, the right color, um, the right volume, right? So I think. Today, convenience is going to go on a on a huge growth spurt in terms of in terms of convergence of all these technology into convenience, and I think the biggest one that's going to lead to that is audio. Um, you know, we we forget that the majority of the world doesn't live on English, French, and other established languages. Uh, even spelling something in Arabic that's a multinational brand is, is tough for this region, but uh, saying it out loud to your phone. Uh, and managing audio with all these different devices by different companies at your home um, will allow you to have access to things much faster. So the speech recognition... The speech basically. recognition is going to be something that's going to be much more technologically advanced and audio as an overall uh, piece will be much much smarter. So moving forward, uh, you need to have an audio-enabled mentality. And I think that's going to lead all towards convenience. And I think the world of value has has been established. You know, today... Most folks, I think 62% of folks based on the last research, will only purchase at discount, right? And I think that's a, that's a big statement. So the world of value has been established. The world of convenience is yet, is yet to be established. And I think that's the next big thing. Very interesting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you 10 questions. Sure. Uh, and you're going to give me a one-word answer. Sure. Okay, very, very unprompted. Uh, okay. Um, so what's your favorite car? 
um, Land Rover Defender. Oh, wow. Okay, I thought you were going to say something else. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite animal? Uh, polar bear. What's the best cuisine? Lebanese. What makes you anxious? Hmm, what makes me anxious? Mm. Conformity. What's what motivates you? Fun. What's a best pastime activity? Tajji. Mm. <laughs> I'll have to explain that though. <laughs> you have to explain yeah. that. What's Tajji? <laughs> Tajji is a game we used to play in uh, Brumana High School where I was brought up. <laughs> That's a combination of tennis, soccer, and a confined field. And and the 43 other people listening to this that know what I'm what I'm saying will, will be smiling and the other <laughs> millions of people will be will be probably confused. Okay, so it's a sport. It's a sport. Okay. Uh what's your favorite book? The Goal. Okay. What's your favorite movie? Hmm, Star Wars. Oh, okay, that I knew. Any of them. That I knew. Uh what is something you regret? Hmm. I regret not being not taking seriously how to be fit so to be fit physically fit and what's something you love food which <laughs> goes with the first question the previous question <laughs> okay thanks Nadim cool. I think that's a wrap for us thank you uh, it was fun thanks for your time I had a, had a fantastic time likewise great insights thank you thank you thank you for joining me on this episode You can find Conversations with Lulu in your favorite podcast player, such as Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Rami and Deezer. You can watch the video interview on our Conversations with Lulu YouTube channel. You'll find a link in the show notes. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode and would really appreciate your feedback. Please support the show by subscribing and leaving us a rating or a review in Apple Podcasts. You can always reach out to me for feedback or for sponsorship requests via Instagram at luluchazen, which is L-O-U-L-O-U-K-H-A-Z-E-N, or email me on lulu.chazen at gmail.com. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next guest, the founder and CEO of Magnet, Philip Pahoshi, to talk about the MENA venture capital and startup scene. See you then! Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today.